Today on We Here, we finally know why Demi Moore and her ex Bruce Willis are quarantining together. More creepy details are coming out about Jeffrey Epstein, and Val Kilmer's new memoir is Juicy with a capital J. He's revealing details about his past romances with everyone from Cindy Crawford to Ellen Barkin. Coming up next on We Here. Oh my God. We're on page six? No. Oh, no. Yeah. Another divorce splashed across page six. Page six would have a field day. Hey there, I'm Maggie Coglin. And I'm Ian Moore, and welcome to We Here, a Page Six podcast. We hear all the celebrity dirt from our exclusive sources, and you hear the story behind the story. Maggie, the story behind the story is that I need an agent. I'm being uh, <laughs> I'm being harassed <laughs> in the recording studio right before we were about to go kick off the podcast today. Someone in my home who's six years old came in and grabbed my glasses, took them off, and somehow put my computer into airplane mode, which I didn't even know existed. I didn't know you, you need an agent. Maybe I need, I need a bouncer. I need a yeah. velvet rope that I can put across the uh, door of my recording studio here. Man, I just need a haircut. My needs feel so minuscule in comparison to yours. <laughs> I was looking today. I have to admit, I was Googling, and this may sound gross, if my beard trimmer is equipped to do haircuts. Ooh, I have so. like, I look like a strange pineapple. I have like half of my hair on top of my head, the other half down. Like any shape, any layers have now grown into full on hair curtains. Like I'm just cousin itting it over here. Cousin itting it. I love that. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. bleak, <laughs> I'm straight up lurching it. Well, some people who are looking pretty damn good in quarantine are Bruce Willis and Demi Moore. Have you seen them? Yeah. So, Maggie, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore are quarantining together. Of course, they are exes, and they have three grown children together, mm-hmm. right? Scout, Tallulah, and Kabula. Rumor. <laughs> Forgot about rumor. A Kabula, that's someone else's child. Yeah. I, I don't know how Kabula got on, the, on this page. <laughs> Scout, rumor, and Tallulah. So initially, the family, and I guess some a couple boyfriends of, of two of the daughters, had posted this sort of group photo of the family quarantining together, and it was on Instagram. And it picked up a lot of attention because they were all in these sort of matching kind of green and white striped, what would you call it? Pajamas. But they were Mm -hmm. like very like sort of Dr. Seuss meets old timey um, pajamas. Uh, I don't know if these are like leftover from their family Christmas card where they're all sitting on a staircase on Christmas morning, but that's the vibe. Right. Yeah, and also they looked like, I don't know, they're probably made from like organic fair trade cotton. Um, but in any event, the the picture, which was cute, got a lot of attention. And it was like, hey, quarantine club, whatever they said. And then some eyebrows were raised, Maggie, because people started to think, well, wait a minute. Does it make sense? Why is Bruce Willis quarantining with Demi Moore and his three grown children and their boyfriends having a gay old time. They're out in Haley, Idaho, where the family famously has a compound. Mm-hmm. While Bruce Willis's current wife, Emma Hemming Willis, 
was back in LA and he has two young daughters with her. So right. I think people, so initially the picture came out and it was like, hey, this is really cute. Look, they're having fun. And that got picked up a lot of places. But then people started to notice that in the comments, Bruce Willis's current wife, Emma, was like leaving kind of these messages to them like, hey, you guys look great or like miss you. And it, it just sounded kind of like sad. Like A little bit then, of FOMO there. Family oh, fun FOMO. Family FOMO. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. Why is Bruce Willis quarantining with his ex and not his current wife? Like what's going on here? So there was sort of a mystery kicked off as to what exactly was going on. Yeah, and now Scout Willis has solved this mystery after appearing on a recent episode of the Dopey Podcast. See, podcasts, man, they're really getting us through this time. I know, but the thing I don't understand, Maggie, is I keep reading about every time there are celebrities who are breaking like major news every five seconds and revealing all these crazy things, and then it'll be on like the most obscure podcast of all time. If you're out there, come on, we hear a page six podcast. Nothing against the Dopey podcast, but I mean, <laughs> whatever. I mean, we're dopes. Yeah. Yeah. So what is um, the Dopey podcast? So the Dopey podcast uh, is a podcast that I believe talks about addiction and recovery. And Scout Willis Tell me about it. is sober, correct? And has yeah. kind of, you know, Demi Moore talked a lot about her addiction issues uh, in her memoir and the family's been very open about that. So she was on this podcast and brought this up. And she said, my stepmom was going to come up here too with my little sisters. But my younger sister, who's now actually seven years old, had never gotten to talk about not effing with hypodermic needles that she found, parenthetically, at a park. So she actually tried to poke her shoe with it and poked her foot. So my stepmom had to be in L.A. waiting to, like, get the results for her for taking her to the doctor. So my dad came up here early and then travel got crazy. So my stepmom stayed in LA with my little sisters. So hmm. is a hypodermic needle to blame for the Willis Hemming Moore bunch not being together? This brings up a lot of questions, Maggie. I mean, on <laughs> one hand, I guess it answers why he's up there, right? So ostensibly he's up there because they were all supposed to be together Mm -hmm. But but the younger daughter found a hypodermic needle in a park and was poking her sneaker with it and instead poked her foot. Mm. That's the excuse. First of all, what park are they hanging out with? Is this like Tompkins Square Park in 1978? <laughs> like, where are you taking your kids to the park? What? They're just know. scattered with hypodermic needles and like, yeah. what? So that that brings up one question. Um, another one is though that, okay, so Bruce Willis and his, and Demi Moore and their kids are up in Haley, Idaho. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Emma Hemming is in LA. So, um, in this Dopey podcast interview, it makes it sound like, well, the travel just got all, cause he's been up there for a while. Cause they keep posting pictures from, <laughs> from this, from this quarantine and it's like, oh, the travel got messed up. But it's not like he's in another country. And Maggie, I actually just Google mapped it. Oh. And yeah, just to see like 
well, you know, it's impossible. I mean, how could he get back to LA? Cause it's like your daughter stabbed herself with a random hypodermic needle in a park, not to mention there's a worldwide pandemic going on. Wouldn't you be racing home? And it's not like tra- there's a travel ban between Idaho and LA. As far as I know, I mean, they could drive. drive. Yes. To drive from Haley, Idaho to downtown LA. I it just would take like, you. How long do you think it takes to drive? I know the answer because I. Idaho to downtown LA. Yeah. Haley, Idaho to uh, LA, central LA. I would say 12 to 18 hours. Wow. Maggie, you are what? a woman of the road. Um, <laughs> your, your, your days as a trucker are coming back into play here. It would, it, you're a hundred percent right. It would take you 12 hours and 55 minutes. Well, depending on traffic, I like to give a window, you know, there's no traffic. <laughs> so he could just hop, hopped in a car or if you're a movie star, probably have someone drive you. Could I also someone drive you in a big enough car maybe where you're wearing masks and you get in the third the third row in the back, you could probably be six feet away from each other while driving back. The other thing he could have done, Maggie, if you were to bike, (laughs) if you were to bike (laughs) from Haley, Idaho to downtown LA, it would only take you two days and 23 hours. So three days, it's 876 miles. Well, we are New Yorkers, so we walk at incredible speeds. Well, as you know, after growing up in Brooklyn and being chased for pretty much the first half of my life, chased around the streets when there were hypodermic needles on the street, you're jumping over every five. So there, I was actually more of the more crack vials in my generation, but back um, in my day, <laughs> yeah, um, when crack was whack, the yeah, exactly, you're walking fast. But so he could bike there, and he's in pretty good shape. Two days and twenty three hours. I mean, I don't know where you'd sleep, though. You'd have to camp out. The man is an action star. Some (laughs) of his onset training must translate to a modern day situation such as this. It would take 11 days and two hours to walk if you wanted to go full on, you know, like, but anyway, you couldn't scale the wing of a plane. Like, come on. Oh, yeah. Hang out out this side of a helicopter. That'll keep you six feet apart from the pilot. Oh, right. (laughs) And choppering. He could private jet. Anyway, so there's something kind of fishy about this. It just seems a little odd that why he wouldn't go, you know, racing back to L.A. Although I have to admit, as a father of young children, and I will say this as someone whose child came in and threw my glasses and put my (laughs) computer in airplane mode when we were about to start recording this podcast. You know what? I get it, Bruce Willis. I would much rather hang out in Idaho with Demi Moore. (laughs) Then with some goddamn little kids who are jacking up your whole scene. It would be amazing. I would I'd I'd love to get into pajamas with Demi Moore and her entire family. Jeffrey Epstein has been dead since last August, but we are still finding out more about his insane life. That's right, Maggie. A lawyer who was representing some victims in the infamous Jeffrey Epstein case said that he had some pretty bizarre run-ins with Epstein and that Jeffrey Epstein even had him and his family under surveillance and told him, if you keep prosecuting me in this way, somebody's going to get hurt. 
Whoa. So the attorney, Bradley Edwards, revealed how Epstein hired people to watch his wife and sons. Yeah, he basically said, now this came out during a live stream um, for the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, which is a great organization. But he basically talked about how um, when he was um, representing these victims in the Jeffrey Epstein case, that Jeffrey Epstein sued him personally. Um, he said, he called me to tell me, look, I don't like the way you're prosecuting me and I don't like the way you're trying to undo my immunity deal. You have to understand that I have friends in high places. I will drop my lawsuit against you if you will drop everything that you're doing against me. Now, one thing about this that strikes me, Maggie, is when Jeffrey Epstein mentions the immunity deal um, that this lawyer is recounting, the immunity deal wasn't for Epstein himself. So basically, right, Jeffrey Epstein had gotten that sweetheart um, deal in in Palm Beach, Florida, that mm-hmm. had like allowed him to basically like work from home in Palm Beach during the day and like go to jail at night years ago. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was all this speculation about how did Epstein get this deal? Um, was he, you know, an informant or w- what did he have um, that got the government to go so easy on him the first time around? before he was being prosecuted again and then committed suicide in jail um, last year. But um, when when Edwards refers to this quote about to undo my immunity deal, Jeffrey Epstein, um, as part of his, his uh, original plea agreement, he had had this immunity deal that said that prosecutors would not go after alleged accomplices. Hmm. Um in in the charges against him that he was you know uh, engaging in you know sex with underage girls and in this quote he says I don't like the way you're trying to undo my immunity deal you have to understand that I have friends in high places so basically some of the Epstein victims more recently had been trying to get the government to rip up that initial immunity deal not to reveal or prosecute these alleged accomplices. So it seems like Epstein was trying to protect the people around him who were involved Mm -hmm. in his case. And then he alludes to in this allegedly that they're friends in high places. So who was he trying to protect? The other thing that strikes me about it is that in all of the coverage of Jeffrey Epstein, a lot of his influence has always been categorized as he was sort of schmoozing and doing favors with all these you know, high level people that he was um, proverbially in bed with them, whether it was, you know, flying them around on his private jet or whether it was, you know, doing sort of favors for people or, you know, whatever it was. But in this case, it's sort of a different side of Jeffrey Epstein that we're learning because it's more direct and it's more aggressive and threatening. So as this lawyer says, um, they had he had a string of meetings with Jeffrey Epstein at a Starbucks in Boca Raton, Florida, where uh, Epstein told him, "Brad, if you keep prosecuting me in this way, somebody's going to get hurt." The lawyer says. Mm. The lawyer also said in this live stream, he put my family under surveillance. When I called him on it, and when I called him on it, he apparently told him, "No, no, I just took you off the surveillance. I didn't realize I had done that." I have a bunch of people who work for me. So see, I'm the good guy. I'll treat you fairly. Let's settle this case. 
Hmm. It's worth noting that Bradley Edwards, the lawyer, is representing a woman identified as Priscilla Doe, who filed a motion on Tuesday for permission to enter Epstein's townhouse, which is on East 71st Street, um, and his luxury compound on Little St. James Island, so she can document the opulence of these locations and see how it was difficult for these young women to escape because of the layouts and how these homes were designed. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. and as as you mentioned, I mean, she's just one of several women who filed suit against Epstein's estate even after his suicide. Now, in this case between Jeffrey Epstein suing this lawyer, Bradley Edwards, who's now revealing details about their dispute, apparently the lawyer Edwards refused to settle the case with Epstein despite his pressure. And Epstein was finally forced to make a full apology in a letter that was read in court in 2018. Hmm. So it's sort of unclear uh, as to when these when these meetings were going on. There's so much to it, and there was so much that was sort of swept under the rug. It's interesting to see what's coming out now. Meanwhile, these accomplices, you know, that, that immunity deal that Jeffrey Epstein referred to, I guess is still in place. So um, the people around him, I guess, are still being protected by it if there is any evidence out there that would incriminate them as well. Val Kilmer has released his new memoir, I'm Your Huckleberry. And in it, he writes about his high-profile relationships with everyone from Cher to Cindy Crawford to Daryl Hannah to Ellen Barkin. He dated a lot of famous ladies. Yeah, it's impressive, Maggie. And he, um, a lot of this sort of just fell into his lap, it seems like, right? From Cher to Angelina Jolie. It's like, it wasn't like he was pursuing all of these women. It seemed like a lot of them were kind of pursuing him, or maybe he just kind of ran into them and struck up a relationship. So one of my favorite parts was the way that he writes about Ellen Barkin, who he describes as having the best smile in all five boroughs. That warmed my heart. She's from the Bronx. Lovely. Uh, He said, I remember her wit, her sultry eyes, but mostly her laugh and her hair. Who remembers the softness of a woman's hair? If you ever have a chance to consensually ever so gently touch Ellen's hair, it will be worth the look she's going to drop on you. A poet, this man. Yeah, and he writes of, first of all, I want to know, Maggie, did you immediately know what line the movie I'm Your Huckleberry is from? No, I did not. And I had to Google it and its meaning. Yeah, so I remember it's from Tombstone, right? Mm-hmm. And? And does he say it like right before he gets killed or something? That's what I remember. Or what is well, it? Well, apparently I'm your Huckleberry means like I'm your guy for the job, right? Ah, right. Like if I wrote a story and I wanted it to be edited, you would say to me, I'm your Huckleberry. That might be a little dramatic. Well, this is an example using our oh, actual I'm your Huckleberry. Jobs. Like, I'm the guy to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm a As great editor. To being I'm like a gunslinger who's about to get shot or something? I don't know, Ian. Yeah, I was yeah, trying to relate that like to our guy. actual lives. <laughs> um, he writes about Cher, by the way, speaking of berries? What? I don't know. Uh, that uh, speaking of juicy topics. <laughs> 
Mm. Like huckleberries. Keep trying. He says that in 1981, he was in, um, he was at a student at Juilliard and he was eating alone at a Manhattan restaurant when a friend of his showed up and said, someone's interested in meeting you. And in his case, it turned out to be Cher. Man. So the weird thing though is he didn't care. He's, he, he's, he writes, I saw Cher as a less than fascinating character out of the gossip rags. Ooh. And he was not motivated to ve- not, I was not motivated to meet her, not out of snobbery, but simply because I was sure we had nothing in common. How could you have nothing in common with Cher? Honestly, um, when you r- said that to me, I was like, what would I be more excited about to do right now? Meet Cher or eat in a Manhattan restaurant? It might be a oh, Manhattan yeah. restaurant. <laughs> totally. That's that's true. So then he and Cher got involved. And he actually writes that when he did meet Cher, he found her to be the funniest person you'll ever meet. And they dated on and off for years. He writes, to most of Hollywood, I was Cher's lover. I could often hear industry folks whispering about us in fancy restaurants. More restaurants for you, Maggie. Mm. Um, Cher, the funniest person you'll ever meet. Who knew? I believe it. Uh, He also. Yeah, so good in Moonstruck. He also talked about Daryl Hannah, who he said was the worst breakup. He said, Lord knows I've suffered heartache, but Daryl was by far the most painful of all. And that when she moved on with Neil Young and, you know, she secretly got married August 2018, of that he wrote, Neil Young, I always loved you, but I'm afraid I hate you now. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Yeah. I don't know. I I never knew about Val Kilmer's romantic life like this. I might have to read this whole book. Yeah. He also says that it's weird. I I think his key to success was – Whatever came his way, it sounds like he just wasn't interested, which might be a good way of doing (laughs) things. But there was Cher. And then also um, when he was asked to audition for Top Gun, he writes in the book, I didn't want the part. I didn't care about the film. The story didn't interest me. My agent, who also represented Tom Cruise, basically tortured me into at least meeting Tony Scott, the director, saying Mm -hmm. he was completely obsessed with me. And then, of course, Top Gun became one of the biggest hits of his career i mean then again i can't blame him for this one because yeah it is true like top gun became a sensation it's it's certainly like captured a certain zeitgeist at the time mm-hmm. but i'm not sure if you would read the top gun script and think like oh this is a slam dunk so can't blame mm. him for that he also said about Cher. yeah who knew Cher would be so funny but he said once Cher works her way inside your head and heart she never leaves for her true friends, her steadfast love and loyalty never die. Huh. Yeah, apparently she was uh, with him when he had his recent uh, sort of health battles as well. Um, yeah, yeah, he had throat it. cancer, right? Yeah, it was kind of a controversial thing, right? Because he seemed to be unwell and there were a lot of rumors out there that he had throat cancer and then he was like denying it and, mm-hmm. um, and then finally sort of went public. Yeah, he write he writes about Cindy Crawford. I thought I could have died from her love, not oh because God. it was yeah, not because it was difficult, but because its delight was simply too much to bear. Who knew Val Kilmer was such a romantic? My God, that I can imagine. I could see 
dating Cindy Crawford as being an unbearable delight. <laughs> an unbearable delight. That's yes. an amazing way to describe someone. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's much what it's like to do this podcast with you, Ian. You're an unbearable oh my gosh, delight. Thanks. <laughs> Oh my God. Thanks, Maggie. I guess. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of We Here. Our show is produced by Jamila Zara Williams and Melissa Caceres. Please send us your questions and your ideas for the show. You can email us your hot takes at podcasts at nypost.com. And to hear the latest We Here episodes, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We really love reading them. They've been making our days. We will be back next week with more Page Six exclusives. See you then.